So welcome to the Global Discussion, discussions with creatives, leaders and thinkers. Today I'm joined by Jihan Hyde. Uh, you're very welcome to the podcast, Jihan. Let's begin by asking you to introduce yourself to our international audience today. So over to you. Hi, hi, Simon. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so and hi, everyone who's listening. Um, my name is Jihan Hyde, as Simon said, and I am the founder and CEO of Communi. We are a challenger ESG uh, advisory, uh, strat strategy and communication advisory firm. We're based in the UK and we are two years old at the moment. But what we mainly do is we help startups, scale ups and large organizations on how to start their sustainability journey how to integrate it within their business model, how to communicate it effectively internally and externally, but most importantly, how to make sure and audit it in a way that does make sense and that the KPIs are reasonable KPIs and clear KPIs. Um, so that's regarding Communique. Uh, regarding myself, I am originally from Sudan. My background is, uh, is marketing, but I got bored with it, so I decided to reskill myself. I became a PR practitioner, uh, an advertising um, uh, executive, and then finally I found my true passion, which is internal communications. Um, I am LinkedIn top voice for ESG in Europe. I'm the CEO of the year, according to uh, CEO magazine, due to the uh, charitable work that I do. And I'm also one of the 40 over 40 most influential and successful communicators in the world. Wow, that's a, that's a, that's an awful lot there. And I was going to if you didn't mention them, I was going to mention them because, uh, first of all, being a uh, one of the top ESG voices on LinkedIn is no mean feat. I know you're very much recognized for the work that you do there. And you're also, as you mentioned, see, recognized as a CEO of the year. Uh, I think that was in just recently in, in last yes. year, yes. Uh, which is really great. And to be to be um, one of the top 40, top 40 over 40, I think is the way they put it, don't they? Uh, I think is really, really good as well. And um, so thank you for sharing all that. I've got a couple of questions, if I can, just about what you're doing now with your company. Could you say it's a couple of years old, you're working with some uh, some companies. Uh, when it comes to ESG type activity, Jihan, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that you see when you start to engage with, with companies and individuals? What are some of the big challenges that you're finding? To begin with, for those of you who do not understand what ESG or know what ESG stand for, uh, ESG stands for environmental, social and governance. And it's a term that is widely used by investors. Your uh, Jane uh, Smith in the street will not know ESG as per se. She will know it as sustainability. The challenges we're facing, and I'm seeing a lot, and this is why clients are coming to us flooding at the moment, is two, from an organizational point of view, organizations are now forced to record and to report on their sustainability efforts, but they were not given clear guidance 
of what they should be reporting, how they should be reporting, and what initiatives are best suited for their purpose and their brand story. The second challenge that I'm seeing and I'm facing um, every day is my fellow communication professionals, whether CMOs, whether chief communications officer, whether you are an internal communication director or a PR practitioner, there is a lack of upskilling and lack of knowledge in that space. They are not yet really understanding the urgency of the need to be upskilled, upskilled in this field. So they're overwhelmed. And it's a technical topic, Simon. ESG is a very technical topic, but it's not a difficult topic. There's a difference between technical and difficult. It, you just need to understand what it entails and then break it down into simple you know, um, lessons. So these are the two challenges. Number one, how to embed it within an organization. Number two, lack of skill sets within our professions. Yeah, and you, you you started off by saying something really important because I'm I'm very familiar with the term ESG, uh, whereas a lot of people may just think about sustainability or you know being a bit more green in terms of their agenda, but in in the the commercial world, particularly in uh, businesses, the the ESG agenda has rapidly got to the boardroom table. It's such an important strategy, and rightly so. But what I see anecdotally, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, but from the organizations that I speak to, a lot of them are really, really struggling with not just measuring things, but figuring out what to measure or how to how to even work out where they're at when it comes to their own um, sustainability metrics. A lot of them are completely in the dark. Now, is that a skill set thing? Is it because it's new? Are they getting better at it? Because the companies that I, and I'm talking about some of the biggest companies in the world are really struggling with this at the moment. Yes, they are. Um, the first reason they're struggling is the lack of standardization. If you look at Europe versus US versus Asia versus Middle East, for example, the way that the regulators are asking you to report on ESG is different. Why? because the infrastructures within these governments are different. So for example, in the Middle East, our clients are now being asked to report on their ESG, their financial services, they're all banks at the moment. They, however, are the, the regulators are not giving them clear direction on what they should be reporting on. How, but what they have been given is a small remit to play with. So for example, carbon calculations is the first thing that they came up with, but they don't actually have an infrastructure to get renewable energy in place. So if you want to calculate your scope one, which is your electricity in your building, for example, you can, you, the, only, the only thing you can do in the Middle East at the moment is to offset it because you don't have a grid that supports renewable energy. So this is one of the reasons why they are struggling. It's the lack of standardization, lack of infrastructures to support the data sets 
that you need to um, apply for, uh, um, measure. And the third, but not, the, and actually one of also the most important thing is the lack of skill sets. Where do you get someone to help you cal calculate your carbon? Where, who do you trust? Who understands your sphere? Who understands your industry? Because carbon calculations differ from one industry to another, from one sector to another. So it's very difficult for you to determine who are your strategic partners when it, to help you do this. Yeah, thanks, Jihan. Because at the time of recording this, I was reading only a couple of weeks ago that the UK recently announced, for example, that they're going to change the way that this is measured. They're, they're looking at new standards, look putting out new metrics, how, how businesses have to report on that. Mm -hmm. And of course, we, you know, the UK has been through Brexit and, you know, is no longer part of uh, sort of uh, the EU when it comes to uh, trade and commerce. So they've, they've gone out on their own. Uh, and so again, you have this, you know, maybe they'll work together uh, closely uh, for obvious reasons, but you have a disconnect even between, you know, uh, countries in the European Union and then you think about the Middle East or you you think about the Americas and it, it it becomes very very complex for businesses that are working internationally to measure that because you're not measuring the same things in each geography are you and that's very very challenging for a, a global brand or a global organization it's extremely challenging but transparency is key and that's what I always advise my clients Yes, it's challenging. Yes, you're trying to work through it. But if you're honest in your reporting to say, we're not getting it, we're not getting it right yet. Okay, but we are trying our best. You will be forgiven for that. The problem we're having at the moment is people don't have the confidence yet to do so or to say so. Yeah. And instead, so this is what we call greenwashing. This is where you're claiming something that you're doing regarding saving people and planet, but it's not really accurate or it's not really true. So that's greenwashing. But then now we're seeing a new phenomenon coming in, which is green hushing, which is, in my opinion, it's worse than greenwashing because I see some of my clients doing wonderful work, amazing work, cutting edge. And I'm talking cutting edge technology in how to save our people and our planet, but they don't want to talk about it because they're too afraid to be scrutinized and to be attacked by their customers or the regulators or the shareholders. But, and this is where we come in. We provide them with a competitive advantage whereby we provide them with um, a competition analysis of what their competitors are doing. How are they doing so? What are they saying? And then we're, pro we're arming them with all the right statements to say, we're doing great. We're not perfect, but we're working on it. And this is in this very simple way. Um, yeah, and it's funny. I, I think a lot of people have probably heard of the term greenwashing, where organizations have, you know, sort of smoke and mirrors and, you know, making it sound as though they're really making a positive impact when actually they're not. Um, but green hushing is actually a term I'm not that familiar with, uh, where you're saying, you know, some companies are doing really great things, but it doesn't quite fit into what regulators or countries or governments are looking at. So they're kind of keeping it a secret. Is that what you're saying? No, what I'm saying is they don't have the data that they think that they don't have the accurate data to support their claims. So rather than uh, talking about what they're doing, 
they're not. Okay, thanks for explaining that. So, so that and, and hence green hushing. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. But what they don't realize is that by you not talking about the work you're doing as an organization and how you're saving your people and the planet, you're alienating not only your customers because um, so far, for example, in the UK, one in three customers have now said they will only buy sustainable products, okay? But you're also alienating your talent pool because the talent will only join you if you have a purpose, if, you have, if you're playing your role in saving our planet. If you're not talking about that, you're alienating them. And by the way, 84% of the global talent said they will not be working for you if you do not showcase how you are saving the people on the planet. That's a very interesting point that you raise because um, when it comes to talent attraction, and getting people to come and work for an organization um the workforce coming through and the people that are looking at the jobs and the, and the companies today they really want to make sure that the, the companies are acting in the right way that they have these esg uh, strategies and and activities in place and it is you know in the same way i was mentioning earlier that it's become a it's a boardroom topic now. It's it's a key topic for all the all the people running and managing a business. But from from talent attraction, the people coming into a business, it's getting much harder to hire anybody if you don't have this in place, isn't it? It's it's a full circle. Um, topic. It is. Yeah. No, absolutely, it is. And speaking about boardrooms, yeah, don't underestimate. Actually, don't overestimate how much the board actually understands the topic either. We have been, we have been um, helping three banks at the moment by speaking to the board members and explaining to them what ESG is. Even though they already have ESG in place, by the way, even though these three banks are already reporting on ESG, the board members don't have the right knowledge or the right skill set needed to really push that agenda. So this is where the role of a board member comes in. Because a board member is the sponsor for the E, the S, and the G. So ideally, in your board, you have to have three sponsors who are pushing the agenda for these three letters. If that person doesn't understand what they are, it, won't, it will not be instilled within the corporate culture. And the data is not lying. 90% of the board members who were, um, who were um, uh, surveyed by PwC said, that they do not understand ESG, but they understand finance very well. So this is where the communication team comes in. This is where the sustainability teams comes in, whereby we need to make sure, do the board actually understand this topic? How did the strategy come, across, come, come, come to life? Why were the initiatives chosen? And if we do understand all of that, i.e. the context of ESG, we will be able to communicate it in a way that would cement the brand uh, reputation, the brand image, but also the brand loyalty as well. Well, thanks for sharing that because that's that's a really important point too. It sounds like that there's an awful lot of work <laughs> to be done here, <laughs> so 
<laughs> I'm sure you're inundated uh, with businesses that are looking for help in this area. Um, when it when it comes to your own um, understanding and, and learning, how, how do you take on board information yourself? Because this is an evolving topic for a start. Um, are you finding you're having to trawl the web for information? Are you reading documents and white papers, the government issue? Uh, and I also want to jump jump in with maybe a, a slightly different question, which is about reading books in general. And what kind of books do you read, whether for business or for pleasure? I'd love to to find out. So how do you how do you take on information? How do you how do you learn? I am not good at reading information, if that makes sense. My my brain is going to explode very soon with the amount of information that I'm absorbing every day. So what I go to, I go to web uh, podcasts, actually. Podcasts are my passion. And this is where the information really lies. I start off by listening to the podcast, then tr uh, transcribing the podcast using applications like Otter, for example. And then, and then looking at it again. And then this is where it cements. I also like to break it into layman terms. So if you're talking to me about offsetting, carbon offsetting, what does that mean? What does a ton of CO2 mean? You know, so I like to break it into small. So it takes a while for me to really um, absorb information. But once it's in, it never, it never goes. The books I read, believe it or not, have nothing to do with communications, has nothing to do with sustainability. I like to read books that would help me think differently. So for example, at the moment I'm reading a book called Anthrovision. And it's how anthropology can explain business and life. Okay, and it's written by the editor of chief of the Financial Times, uh, Gillian Tett. The lessons I'm learning from it, and I, by the way, I got it on audiobook to start with. I listened to whole book, and then I went and I got the actual book so I can highlight the parts that really resonated with me. Um, it's just because one thing you need to understand about sustainability in general, it's a mindset change, it's a behavioral change. For you to change a behavior, to change your mindset, you need to understand the background of the person you're trying to change. You need to understand the culture they're coming from so that you can speak their language, you can relate to their values. And this is where anthropology and ethnography comes into play. This is where behavioral science comes into play. And these are the type of books I read. Thank you for thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and uh, I'm familiar with that book by Gillian Tett. It's actually a great read. Yeah, so thanks for sharing that. Um, you enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and um, I think I love what you're saying there as well because a lot of people will mention books, uh, but you know, to mention a podcast and to transcribe it and to really absorb the information because I think podcasts are a wonderful way of listening to. Um, key people and experts in particular fields and topics so I love that way of learning uh, Jihan and uh, I'm a big audiobook fan myself I think it's a really useful way and a, and, uh, a time uh, effective way to take on board information so thank you for, for sharing that quick question just going back to the the the, um, the topic of ESG you hear an awful lot of debate about buying carbon credits versus actually doing things 
to improve your sustainability. Do you have a quick view on that from a carbon credit perspective? Because there are businesses that seem to have just been set up to sell carbon credits. There is, yes. <laughs> My greeny friends, as I call them, and they are very good friends of mine. Um, they, I see, I hear a lot, a lot of attack regarding offsetting and carbon credit buying. I personally don't have a problem with that. As long as you demonstrate how you're mitigating and you're working towards reducing your carbon. But to start off by buying carbon credit and offsetting, I don't have a problem. Because again, don't forget, not every infrastructure within the world supports what we have in in Europe. And I think that's where my fellow ESG specialists and ESG communication professionals don't realize you live in a very advanced area at the moment. You are in an advanced country. Others don't have that privilege. If I talk about offsetting carbon or or reducing carbon emission to my mom who's in Sudan, she's gonna laugh at me. She was like, Jana, we we don't even have electricity. So we don't even have carbon, (laughs) you know? So, to start off with carbon offsetting and credit buying, I don't have a problem with. Just make sure that you clearly state what's your next move when it comes to reducing your carbon footprint. Thanks, Jan. I just wanted to, to get a view on that. So thanks very much for sharing that. Now, obviously, over your career, and we mentioned some of your sort of uh, successes at the top of the podcast but you must have people that you look to that you admire that have maybe inspired you whether it's from an early childhood or in your career journey to date is there anybody that springs to mind that that sort of inspires or that you admire uh, either in a, a, a business or a personal life perspective you know I get asked this question a lot and I always struggle to answer it because not because I don't have a lot of people whom I admire, it's because I, there's so many people that I don't wanna you know, um, not do justice to, but there are three characters of people whom I, I admire. Rather than actual individuals, I'm gonna give you characters. I admire someone who does, is not afraid of asking difficult questions who's not afraid of coming across as being inquisitive and not knowing the answer. I admire someone who is proud of who they are and are, and are proud of what they stand for, but also acknowledge that they're not perfect. No, I admire these two characters the most. Someone who's not afraid to ask questions and appear that they don't know the answers to everything and someone who showcases, who is proud of who they are, but also acknowledge that they're not perfect. These are the two characters I admire the most. I think that's a great way of answering that question. So thank you, Gian, for sharing that insight. Um, what about advice? Obviously, you're giving a lot of advice, particularly around ESG at the moment. Uh, you're sharing advice, I'd say, every day uh, of the week. But what about advice for life, for business, Um Is there any advice that you received or that you'd like to share? My advice, if you are a, I'm going to give an advice if you're a founder and an advice if you're an individual, okay? If you're a founder, 
and a soul founder like I am, do not get fooled by social media and how it's perceiving your fellow, other fellow founders. Because what you see is not really true. There is so much behind the scenes that we're not seeing. So don't ever beat yourself down. Don't ever think you are doing something wrong because you, you don't know what goes behind the scene with this other person or your competitor. As an individual, my advice is, if you are a communication professional or if you are a creative person and you want to really make a stamp, look left when everyone is looking right. Try to be different. Ask questions, ask difficult questions, become the joker. Don't be ashamed of asking questions and admitting that you don't know the answers. So these are my two advices. Thank you, Jihan, for sharing that. Um, the, the last thing I want to ask you today before we wrap up is, as we go through this new year, you've obviously got a lot of, a lot of activities that you're working through, but is there anything else that you'd like to share or to bring some attention to before we wrap up the episode today? And the second part of what I want to ask you is, if people want to reach out to you or your organization or to find more out about the, the activities that you're involved in, where's the best place for people to find you? What we're working on for this year, and I think this will interest a lot of your listeners, is really providing training courses that are affordable for my fellow creative professionals. These training sessions are very simple sessions whereby we introduce what is ESG, what does it mean to you as a creative person versus what does it mean to you as a founder, for example. Uh, what it's, what's the ecosystem around it? Why should you care? And how should you communicate it effectively? So this is our focus this year, is the training aspect of ESG. The second focus we have is um, ESG business model, um, uh, sorry, uh, business um, ESG strategy auditing, communication strategy auditing. We are seeing a lot of traction and a lot of... Um, people coming to us saying, we already have a strategy in place, a communication strategy in place, a creative strategy in place, but we don't know if it actually landed effectively. Can you come and help us to audit it and audit its effectiveness? So these are the two focuses, uh, focus a, uh, areas that we are going to be growing for this year. How would you get in touch with me? Um, I am always on LinkedIn. Please find me under Jihan Hyde. If you want to read our reports and our insights of um, and our news, uh, the uh, the best place will be our website. It is www.comunique.global, and I'm sure it will be in the show notes, anyways. Yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll include a link to that. Well, listen. Thanks for sharing some great insights, some great wisdom. And for anybody who is looking to reach out, obviously the website or LinkedIn uh, would be a great place to start. That brings me nicely to the end of this episode today, although I think I could talk to Jihan for a long time about this topic. Maybe we'll have to do it again uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, so thanks to Jihan. Uh, thanks to everybody for watching the global discussion or listening to this episode. Make sure that you like, follow, subscribe, do all the normal things that you do with a podcast. We'd like you to do that. And I hope you join me again for some more interesting uh, discussions with creatives, 
leaders and thinkers. Thank you, Jihan. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you, Simon. My pleasure. Thank you.